Imagine for a moment that you're 10 years old again. Slight chills in the air, endless stars fill the evening sky as the campfire grows in warmth and light. Though seemingly surrounded by darkness, the light illuminates a place where you are safe, treasured, and accepted. A place where the chaos of the world is turned into a chorus of stories, songs, laughter, and joy. Life is found in places like this. where you are reminded of what really matters. It's here you find your center and embrace those who discover theirs with you. This is the rich and beautiful and good kind of life. Everyone needs a campfire. Where are you building yours? Good morning. My name is Johnny Brower. I'm one of the pastors here at First Methodist Mansfield. More specifically, I am the student ministries pastor. I have the pleasure of working with the teenagers of this church. Many of them are your teenagers. And yes, I did say it is a pleasure uh, to work with them. Um, I'm thrilled to be in worship with you this morning here in the well and upstairs in the well cafe. I'm usually up there on Sunday mornings and so missing my well cafe family, but uh, extremely honored uh, to have the privilege to uh, come and share the message with you this morning. A couple of things I want to draw your attention to before we go any further. The first is this. Um, upstairs and downstairs, you were handed a bulletin on the way in. On the back of that bulletin, I'd like for you to find that. There's a section here. It's blank and it says notes. I don't know if you've seen this before, but um, you can take notes here. Uh, we'll have a few things uh, on the screen that I'd love for you to, to write down and take home and ponder through the rest of the week. Um, or if you just get totally bored and I lose you about five minutes in, you can make your grocery list or doodle or whatever you need. There's just a free blank piece of paper. There you go. Um, the other thing I want to draw your attention to is at the bottom uh, of that page, there's a website, www.growpraystudy.org. There, if you've never been there before, man, there is um, some fantastic stuff. This is a wonderful resource. Um, there are daily scriptures and devotionals that coincide with our sermons and our series um, that you can look at each and every day um, that will help you engage the material uh, throughout the week. So I really encourage you to do that. If you're looking to ramp up your devotional life, that is just a perfect resource to do so. You can visit that website to find those daily readings, or you can sign up to have each of those readings delivered daily to your inbox, and you don't even have to go looking for it. It'll be right there for you. Hope you'll do that. Um, also, last weekend, um, if you remember, was Easter. It was kind of a big weekend in the life of the church. We had Easter services here on our campus over at the Center for the Performing Arts. Um, that's just down 1187. We had three services over there. We had a sunrise service over at Town Park that I did not attend. Um, it was really early. Um, but I heard it was amazing, um, and I got to attend several of those services. Absolutely incredible um, day to worship our God. And also, we had 4,800 people come to worship our risen Lord on that Sunday. Can you believe that? Just incredible. Absolutely. Absolutely worthy of celebration. Just an amazing, amazing day. 
Um, I know our family was blessed, and I, I hope yours was too. And, and last week, if that was your first time to attend church, or maybe your first time in a long time, we're really glad um, that you're here this morning. I'd like to welcome you. Uh, if you have any questions um, or want some information about our church and what we're all about, I invite you, as, as soon as the service is over, to stop by our connecting point um, here, and that we have one upstairs in the, in the Well Cafe as well. Uh, we just have a little uh, little packet we'd love to give you. It tells you all about um, our church and who we are and, and what we do. Um, we'd love for you to do that. We'd also love to meet you and, and shake your hand and say hi. One last thing, I promise, and then we're going to get started here. Um, if you have uh, your Bible app on your phone, if you'll go ahead and fire that up. If you brought um, the old, anal- I see a couple analog Bibles here that are made of paper, um, I, I commend you. Uh, if you have your Bible, I want you to go ahead and turn to the book of Ecclesiastes. I'm not going to ask you to spell it, just turn to it. Um, chapter 4. So if you're looking for Ecclesiastes, just cut your Bible in half. You'll probably find Psalms or Proverbs, and it's right after that. Ecclesiastes is right there, right after Proverbs. Chapter 4 uh, will be in verse 9 through 12. We'll do that in just a minute. This week, we are starting a new series called Campfire. You saw the wonderful video right up there. And I I love this series because when I hear that word campfire, my mind is immediately filled uh, with images and and just these sensory sort of um, visions and smells and and emotions. It just kind of all floods up within me. I, I love the campfire. If I were to close my eyes, I could see the glowing uh, of the fire, and if I concentrate hard enough, I can feel the warmth of the flames radiating. I can hear the, the crackling of the wood, the chirping of crickets and cicadas off in the distance. I can smell the aroma that is coming out of the wood as it burns. I can even picture specific people sitting around that campfire, some of which are family and some are friends, but all are loved ones. Sometimes we're roaring with laughter. It's nighttime and we're laughing so loud we kind of feel guilty about it. We're laughing so loud sometimes we're afraid we might even wake the sun up and the sun will come up and tell us to be quiet. Sometimes we're silent. But not that awkward silence. It's that deep and comfortable silence. That contemplative sort of silence where you're pondering everything and nothing all at the same time. And around that fire, even though we're surrounded by darkness, we feel safe because we're together. Now, I'm aware that not everyone likes to go camping. Some of you, and I won't ask you to raise your hands, and I won't name names, my wife Holly, um, we don't really want to judge people here. We don't want people to um, feel ashamed. Uh, We'll ask you to raise your hands, but I just wanted to be sure that everybody was clear that my wife Holly hates camping. (laughs) Sorry, Holly. Um, She's upstairs right now in in the Well Cafe, and I'm not up there to get in trouble for saying that. Um, but I know not everybody likes to go camping, and I, I understand that there's bugs and, and dirt and bears and tigers and things that are going to get you, and 
you know, I, I, I get it, I get it. But let me calm your fears here. This series is not about the joys of camping. We didn't, in our studies of Scripture, find some secret message where Jesus was really telling everybody to leave their homes and go live in the woods. That's not what this series is about. But the campfire is an iconic image. And though it can take various forms, we all can identify with the idea of the campfire. Because it's not the actual fire itself that's so interesting. Though I do like fire as much as the next person. I think it's fascinating. I get mesmerized by the flames. But that's really not what makes a campfire so iconic. The campfire is iconic because of who you share the campfire with and what is shared around the campfire. And that's something that we all want. Not the literal campfire, but that sense of community, that feeling of togetherness, to know deeply those people that sit with you and to be known by them, to share life with them unashamed and unafraid, authentic, real relationship. Because one of the things that we know and that we understand from Scripture is that we were built, we were made, we were created for community. And that community is designed to work best when you have God at the center of it. If you were to take a look at the creation story in the very beginning of the Bible, God created one of us. He said, oh, that was all right. But it wasn't good for them to be alone. So he created another one. Community. Togetherness. And often we would find God coming down into the garden and walking and, and looking for them and, and, and being together with them. Community. God's only son, Jesus, we find him in the New Testament. He modeled this for us. Jesus walked around with an entourage, right? He had, he had 12 disciples that walked with him. Jesus was rarely alone. He had people with him all the time, and he shared with them. Jesus said, where two or three are gathered, there I am also. Proof that he loves community and a party. <laughs> you get a bunch of people together, and I'll be there. This was modeled for us throughout Scripture. We even know if we were to take a look at history or even modern day that one of the most severe punishments we can give another human being is to exile them, right? To separate them, to disconnect them from the community, from other people and make them be alone for extended periods of time, to isolate them. Hold on to that word. We're going to come back to it in just a minute. But that's one of the most severe punishments that we could hand down to somebody is to disconnect them from community from being with other people. And one of my favorite scriptures when talking about the importance of community and healthy relationships comes from the book of Ecclesiastes. And I share this scripture a lot with our students um, as they are, they are learning what it means to be in healthy relationship with other people. So I want to share that with you uh, this morning. From Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9 through 12, it says, Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. 
is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's go to God in prayer. Lord God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, God, be pleasing to you. Speak to us this day that we may know you more and draw nearer to you. In your name we pray. Amen. I love that scripture. It's so tangible and true and simple. It gets right to the point, and it's always a welcomed reminder of what a healthy relationship is. Very easy. We know what community looks like by looking at that scripture. People in community support one another. People in a community encourage each other and protect one another. A community inspires, it empowers, and it accomplishes together. Community is powerful, and I believe that within the context of community, we, we have the greatest opportunity for spiritual and personal growth. But this isn't news. This isn't groundbreaking stuff. Why am I even saying this? Why are we doing a whole series on this? We just did it in seven minutes. We're done, right? I mean, I think we would all agree that living in authentic community with one another is a good thing and something that we all want. So why is it that so many of us want it, yet so few of us have it? Why is it that so many of us want this authentic community, yet so few of us have it? It becomes more of this ideal than an actual thing we can possess. How is it that we could be living in the most connected age in history, yet often feel so disconnected from one another? How could somebody have literally hundreds of friends on Facebook, maybe even thousands, but feel like they have no one to talk to? How is it that somebody can show up to a church in a large community and still feel alone? Why is it that we want so badly to be known and loved by others, to live in a deep, connected community, to do life with other people, yet find ourselves isolated? How is that? I'd like to venture one guess. Uh, the, one possible explanation, I guess, is that maybe we're too busy to really get to know other people. Uh, if I were to ask each and every one of you, individually, on your own, take a little poll here, and say, hey, can you tell me how your last week was? How was it? I would be willing to guess that a large majority of you in this room would use the same word. Busy. Man, Last week was busy. And I'm pretty sure that that probably describes most of our weeks now. I know that's true for me. That becomes my default response when people say, hey, how are things going? Oh, good. Busy, but good. It just becomes this default response because we're always busy. We live minute to minute looking at our task lists and our task list and our calendars and our to-do list, wondering how we're going to get it all done. How are we going to get people from A to B? When we think about home and all it takes to keep that running and our kids' schedules and soccer games and dance recitals and work and all the stress that comes with work, 
our lives and our minds are just full. And we're exhausted. And at the end of the day, it's all we can do just to muster up enough energy to even engage our families at home. Sometimes it's much easier for us to just mindlessly roam the internet or thumb through Facebook or watch TV. And you may be in a room with a bunch of people, but community's not happening. Sometimes we just get so busy and the pace at which we live our lives leaves us no space to really invest in other people. In the book, The Life You Always Wanted by John Ortberg, he says, love and hurry are fundamentally incompatible. Love always takes time, and time is one thing hurried people don't have. I don't know about you, but when I read that, man, that cut me. (laughs) That cut me pretty deep because I am often in a hurry, and I often find myself hoping that nobody stops me or bothers me or keeps me from accomplishing what it is that I want to accomplish because checking another box on that list is really satisfying and really rewarding for me. But in all honesty, it's not near as rewarding as those deep relationships that I often avoid. Our busyness isolates us because we don't have the time or the energy to truly connect with someone. We stack our schedules and our children's schedules because Maybe we fear that if we don't, we'll miss out on an opportunity. Somebody else will get the chance that we could have had if we didn't do this one thing. And we either intentionally or unintentionally fill up our schedules with so many things. And while all these things are probably good things, they keep us from the truly transformative things. And that's the real struggle here is that we look at our schedule and it's all good. We're choosing between all good things and yet we choose all of these good things and fill our life up with it and we miss out on that which is truly transformative. We get too busy to know, to really know others. And that's a key ingredient in healthy community. Another possible explanation could be that we're afraid of actually being known. True community requires that we know others and are known by them. Yet some of us believe that if another human being actually got to know us, actually knew who we really are, that they probably wouldn't be able to love us or accept us or tolerate us for very long. We are paralyzed by the notion that we can't possibly be accepted. And you know what? Maybe we've been burned or scarred in the past from other relationships that have taught us that we really aren't all that acceptable when we're presented as we truly are. They led us to believe that we're unworthy of those deep connections. And you know what? That horse has just bucked us off one too many times and not ready to get back on and fall for that again. So instead, we settle for these very shallow, surface-level connections that are much less risky, but also much less rewarding. Pastor and author Timothy Keller recently tweeted this statement. To be loved but not known is superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be known and loved, that transforms you. 
We're nervous about allowing people into our messy homes, let alone our messy lives. And that's the beauty of social media, things like Facebook and Twitter and, and Instagram, is that our pictures, our, our status, how we feel, our whole life can be cleaned up and made presentable and then shown to the world. And then no one can judge us because everything looks good. I'm definitely guilty of this. Uh, my wife and I, we love to post pictures of our, our son, Charlie. He has the most amazing smile. His smile is huge, lights up a room. Uh, he's an amazingly beautiful, beautiful kid. And uh, if any of you know me only through Facebook, uh, the three of us are pretty much the perfect family. Our whole lives, we do nothing but smile and tell each other how much we love each other and go on trips and hug and dance around in blue bonnets. That's what we do. You don't believe me? Go look on Facebook. Um, <laughs> and, and while that's all well and good, that's, that's not the whole truth. That's not the whole truth because we have days like yesterday. Yesterday, where the three of us are working on the house together, we're cleaning, we're organizing, we're mowing, and everything is wonderful until I notice my dear son, Charlie, walking into the backyard, and he has one dress shoe on that is two sizes too small, and tears are running down his face. He's sobbing, and it's that kind of sob that comes with snot also, you know, it's just... It's just a mess. And I turn around and I notice him wandering into the yard with just this one tiny shoe on. And I stop him. I'm like, Charlie, what is wrong? What's the matter? And he just looks at me and just continues to sob and cry and snot all over himself. And I'm like, Charlie, and I'm doing my best to, you know, wipe his face. What's the matter? And he finally tells me, I don't know. I'm like, okay, well... We go inside and we continue to investigate and it turns out that he is upset because he can't get his other shoe on that is two sizes too small. <laughs> this is why he's upset and we're like, okay, well that's good. But then right after that, the situation turns to DEFCON 1 and we have complete meltdown and it's gone to just the plain snotty sobby cry to complete wail, crying, where all you can do is just set him down on the floor and let him cry it out. We, we, we set him down and we, we closed the door to his room where he could just cry. And admittedly, we then began to vacuum. For 10 minutes until he finally stops and he comes out and he stops crying long enough for us to shove some food down his mouth and send him in for a nap. <laughs> and why don't we share this stuff on Facebook, huh? Is it because we're afraid that people will think that we're terrible parents? But why would they? Anybody who's been a parent has dealt with this before? Right, parents? <laughs> You're no stranger to the spirit-crushing meltdown that your child is capable of. 
And actually, we find out that when we do share this stuff, when we are vulnerable um, about our shortcomings as, as parents, we find that we're comforted. Because other parents will just smile and say, have I got a story for you? Or my parents, for example, when I tell them those sort of stories, they just start laughing at me. (laughs) I don't know why. (laughs) But there's something comforting about knowing that there's somebody out there that shares your burden, that knows what you're going through, that knows what I'm dealing with. And all along, I, I, we get fearful that if we let people into the mess of us, that we're going to be judged and rejected. And more often than not, we find that people's stories are very similar to ours. And there's comfort in knowing that people have gone through what we have gone through. Now, I'm not suggesting that everybody go home and immediately start spilling your guts on Facebook. Lord knows people do enough of that already. Uh, But so often, instead of actually living life together in honest and vulnerable authenticity, we shrink back into a sort of isolation, uh, a spiritual and emotional isolation, believing that we're actually protecting ourselves or, or preserving ourselves, that there's somehow safety and control if we stay alone and only let people into the surface. But the truth is, prolonged and consistent isolation degrades our spiritual health and our capacity for personal growth. Let me say that one more time. Prolonged and consistent isolation degrades our spiritual health and our capacity for personal growth. And the real danger here, if you remain in isolation, the real danger here is is not that you're somehow going to just lose your faith, that you're going to call it quits with God, but rather, if we remain in that isolation... We end up simply settling for just a mediocre, lukewarm version of our faith. That our lives will somehow become too distracted and too rushed, too anxious, too preoccupied, and too fearful to actually experience the fullness of life that Jesus promises and the transformative power of community. God has created us to be in relationship. It's how we're wired. It's in our DNA. Our souls long for it. Jesus modeled it. Our faith, in, in essence, is about community. And we discover more about that faith through community. Peace, forgiveness, mercy, compassion, hope, Grace, service, love, these are all communal in nature, and they cannot be practiced or learned in isolation. They must be practiced within the context of community. A group of people with God at the center, sharing life and growing together. We're doing this series because we believe the greatest opportunity for personal and spiritual growth happens within the context of community. Campfire is about inviting people into your circle, investing in them, and being vulnerable with them, doing life together, supporting, encouraging, and building one another up. John Wesley, the the founder of Methodism, 
the Methodist movement uh, once said, Christianity is essentially a social religion. And to turn it into a solitary one is to destroy it. Hundreds of years ago, this is, uh, this is the founder of the Methodist movement saying that he understood that Christianity in its essence, what it truly is, is a social religion. Something that we do together and that if you isolate it, you destroy it. If you practice Christianity in isolation, you're really not practicing Christianity at all. So the question is, where are you building your campfire? Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be exploring this idea a little bit. We'll talk about what it looks like to have healthy and safe relationships, to be a healthy and safe relationship for someone else. We're going to talk about what it actually looks like and to be fully known and, and wholly loved. And we're going to dream a little bit about what a church, our church, would look like when its people began living in authentic community with one another. So I hope you can join us for that. Whether this is going to be giving you the tools to actually start your own campfire, or maybe it's about recognizing that campfire that already exists and giving you the resources to maybe stoke the flame a little bit. Either way, I hope you join us over the next couple of weeks as you hear from our pastors and uh, about what it looks like to be an authentic community and begin wondering and dreaming and seeing where it is that we build our campfires. Let us pray. Great God above, we thank you so much for the relationship that you have with us, God. And as we seek to grow closer to you, God, nearer to you, grow deeper in relationship with you, God, so do we long to grow in relationship with others. God, give us the strength, give us the courage to live in authentic relationship with those around us. Let us be unafraid and unashamed, God, because we know that you love us. And God, as we continue to grow together, may our faith grow as well, growing in peace and love, compassion and mercy, becoming more and more like your son, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.